So I had a little bit of time to think about some universal facts of life. One of them is no matter how healthy you are and you eat right and you exercise and you do everything right, you can still get sick. And one day, you will die. That's a fact of life. No one's escaped it yet. You get sick and one day you die. Another one is everyone wants to be loved and accepted, but the truth is someone that you love and and accept will let you down. And if you're not in the nursery, you already know that, you've already experienced that. That that's just the way life is. Another fact of life is money is great. I mean, you gotta have it, but it's not everything. And yet so much of our lives is spent on the hamster wheel of money. Be careful of that, right? There's facts of life. Here's another big one. I learned this, how universal this is about uh, seven or eight years ago. I took my oldest daughters, Carissa and Bella, and we went down to Brazil because my brother-in-law and his family, and he has two daughters that are almost the exact same age as my daughters, best friends, they went down there as missionaries. So we went to visit them. And um, he lived on this, this just incredible, I mean, just, it, it, it's like straight out of National Geographic. It's called the EDD River. It's a tributary of a tributary of the Amazon River. It's in spots wider than you can see. It's just unbelievable. And it's a tributary of a tributary of the Amazon River. And his ministry was you get in a boat and you go down the river and you stop at these, they're called the Hebedin, the river people, at their houses and you invite them to a Bible study at night. And so that, we did that that evening. It's so funny. You're sitting there at this little spot on the river and people start showing up in their canoes. So the parking spot is like the river, they just kind of park their canoes one after another, all in right. They got people down there like, you right here, you right here. It's just hilarious. And then they all gather and you have a big meal. And then that night, you just teach the Bible. So I was teaching the Bible, little gas oil lamp thing flickering. Um, people just crowded in this little hut. It's hot and humid. There's like eight people on a couch, but it's not an eight person couch. And I'm teaching the book of Ephesians actually. And my brother-in-law, Clyde, is translating into Portuguese. And as I'm teaching, behind the couch, I'm facing this couch, there's this big window, and I see this giant tarantula just start to crawl up through the window onto the couch. And so I'm like teaching, I'm like, hey, there's a spider. And Clyde just translates it. Like, hey, there's a spider. And they're like, okay, great. I'm like, no, literally. I'm not, this is no longer teaching. There was a spider there. And they're like, ah, and so everybody freaks out. Somebody gets a broom, they kick it out. All right, so I go back to teaching. I'm not kidding. Two minutes later, the spider is back. I'm like, he loves the Bible. This must be a really good message because he's like, I want more of that, man. So after I finished, you're, you're just hanging out with these people. You're like sitting in hammocks and talking. And here's what I was amazed at. These guys have a simple life. They plant stuff. They pick bananas and pineapples and mangoes. And like you throw anything into the river there and you pull out a fish. It's, just, it's unbelievable. The bounty of that area. It's a simple life. And yet, these guys had the exact same questions that you and I have. Right? So we can think sometimes like, 
Will our culture, because of social media or because the onslaught of news, it's just depressing that we have these unique things that happen to us? No, no. What I found is there's universal questions that people ask regardless of where you live, regardless of the time you lived in, all those things. Questions like they would ask, hey, I don't get it. I worked my tail off and I planted a bunch of manioc out here. And then we had this plague of locusts that destroyed it. Why did that happen to me? Or, hey, I have this family and I was really trying to help them and, and intervene with this family and, and bless them and the thing backfired on me. Why did that happen to me? Right? The same kind of questions that we ask about life and how strange things can be, they ask those same questions. So we're in a series right now asking questions. It's called Good Question. We've done a bunch of them. And I appreciate your guys' suggestions for more good questions to answer. I can't do them all. I wanna finish this series before I die. So if you have good questions, I'm gonna lead you to a section of scripture. It's called the wisdom literature. And this section of scripture to me is the thickest section in the Bible. That it doesn't try to iron out the difficulties of life, the questions people ask, like that's unfair, that's not right, why is that happening? It doesn't iron that out. So this section of scripture, it's Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes, called wisdom literature. And Proverbs is the center of it. Proverbs is, this is what life should look like under God's rule. You should plant your seeds and work hard and get a reward. If you're friendly, you'll get friends, right? I mean, just simple stuff like that. If you live a righteous kind of life, you'll get rewarded for that righteous kind of life. That's the book of Proverbs. That's the way life is supposed to work. But we all know this. It doesn't always work that way. That's why you have these two other books, Job and Ecclesiastes. And Job is the story of a man who loses everything unfairly and what happens to him. And Ecclesiastes is a story of a man who gets everything he could ever want and what happens to him, okay? Now, most of us are not going to live a Job-like suffering, but all of us are gonna suffer. Most of us, actually none of us will ever live like Solomon, okay? Okay, you're not gonna marry a thousand women. I don't care how much game you got. You're not doing it, okay? Just not happening. Okay, he did. So you're not gonna replay Solomon's life. But all of us are gonna have stuff and we're gonna put our hope in it and we're gonna think it's gonna do something for us and we're gonna find like Solomon, chapter two, yeah, I hate life because no one lives on stuff. It's not what you live on. Solomon found that out. You don't live on accomplishment. You don't live on stuff, right? So none of us will ever go out to the extreme, but we're all gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna never just stay right in the middle. In Proverbs, we're all gonna kind of start to vary, right? So you got this incredible section of scripture that starts to explain like, what's up with this, okay? And it's the same answer. Like when these people, the Hebedean were asking me like, why, why? Why is life unfair? I gave him this answer. I said, because... When you read the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, God gave humans a choice. He gave them a choice. He said, you can choose 
to stay in Eden and flourish and thrive. And if you want that choice, eat of the tree of life. Or you can choose to leave Eden and live on your own. And you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they were cast out of Eden, cast out of the center, where now there'd be choices, and now there'd be trouble, and now there'd be suffering. And you may ask, why would God give Adam and Eve that choice? Knowing Job-like situations would come, why would God do that? Real simple. If you want true love, it requires a choice. So the best example of this is the movie Stepford Wives. Who's seen the movie Stepford Wives? Yeah, okay. So if you don't know the movie Stepford Wives, it's this city where the men have replaced their wives with look-alike, you can't tell the difference, robots, okay? So imagine that for a second. Husbands, would you want to replace your wife Beautiful, loving, sometimes difficult, sometimes does not agree with you, doesn't always do everything you ask. Would you want to replace her with a robot who is always going to do what you ask, who's always going to be attentive to you, who's always living to cook for you and make your life perfect? Would you want to do that? Now, husbands, the only answer is no. Right? You're not doing yourself a favor. You'd be like, never, no, I want the real thing, right? Because that's not going to happen. And so the whole movie is about that, right? That there's no love here. If you don't have a choice, there's no love. So God, in his infinite wisdom, when he looked out upon life and made the decision to give to his image bearers the ability to choose, he chose to say, I know what is potentially going to happen what will happen. But to have humans choose to love me is a higher kind of world and it's the world that I want. And so he allowed humans the choice and with choice came trouble. You have Genesis chapter four, there's trouble. One boy kills the other boy. Out of the gate, there is real intense suffering, okay? And so we come to the book of Job and Job is suffering. And here's the whole book of Job. Job begins with this accusation. Job isn't suffering like everyone else. He's gaming the system somehow. God, you have hedged him in. You're not allowing him to go through the unfairness of life. He's got it gamed right now. He's figured out how to whack the God genie in heaven right and it's been, you've been just giving him the goods. That's the accusation. Job is gaming it. And so you know from there, the script changes. And in Job, we find great answers for suffering. So two weeks ago when I was here, we looked at Job and God's view of suffering. This is God's view of it. Today, we're gonna look at Job's view. And I just wanna give you some truths that I think will help you when you suffer, right? Well, three truths and then just a practical, here's what you need in life to go through suffering well. All right, so let's look at number one. Truth number one from the book of Job on suffering. Suffering happens to innocent 
people. Look at verse one. Excuse me, chapter one, verse six. I mean, this is just one of the craziest section of scriptures. You can just get lost in this. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, the who? <laughs> the Benaiah Elohim. You wanna open a can of worms, try to figure out who these guys are. Who are the Benaiah Elohims? Well, they came to present themselves before Yahweh. And guess who was with them? Satan. How crazy is that? Just think about that for a second. Just a day, day like today, beautiful day, in the heavenlies, a bunch of these Benaiah Elohim come up, and with them is Satan. Wow. And Yahweh said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered Yahweh and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. What is Satan doing all the time? Hmm. And Yahweh said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Job right now is now, please don't consider me. Anyone but me, don't bring me up. <laughs> have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. What did God just say about Job? He's my stud. He's my hero. He's doing it down there. He is awesome, okay? So this book at its very onset says, Job didn't deserve what he got. Right? Isn't that what God's saying? He's blameless. He's as good as I've got on earth. There is no one better than him. Job is it. Now, some people, when they suffer, they deserve it, right? So all we have these sayings. If you mess with the bull, you get the horns. What are we saying? Yeah, you earned that, man. You earned it. Some people deserve they're suffering, but Job isn't one of them. He is innocent, right? So truth number one is this. Suffering happens to innocent people. It's the same thing Jesus would say to his disciples. It's like the disciples missed Job chapter one because they're strolling around with Jesus and it says they came across a man who was born blind, right? Born blind. And so they stopped Jesus like, hey, Theological question for you, Jesus. This man right here, who sinned that he would be born blind? Did he sin? What? How did he sin? He was born blind. Or did his parents sin that he would be born blind? Guess what Jesus says? No. That's literally Jesus' answer. Huh, no. You guys got this thing all messed up. No, innocent people suffer, okay? We should already know that. Anyone here been fired from your job for something you did not do? Anyone have gossip spread around at work or in your neighborhood or in your family or at school for something you did not do? Anyone try to help someone, a family member, a friend, and have the whole thing backfire on you like you did something wrong, right? Like we know, we know suffering happens sometimes when you're innocent, when you don't deserve it. 
And there is in those moments a whisper that will come to you. God is punishing you. God is punishing you. Here, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are suffering, listen to me. You are not being punished by God. I'll guarantee it. Listen to Ephesians chapter two, verses one through five. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We got what we deserved. Like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. You were a child of wrath, now you're a child of mercy. That's Ephesians. You did deserve it all, but the wrath that you deserve, the wrath that I deserved, Jesus Christ absorbed on the cross to give you and me his grace and mercy. You're no longer a child of wrath. You are now a child of mercy. If you're suffering today, I can clearly tell you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God's not mad at you. God's not mad at you. So number one truth, suffering happens to innocent people. Number two truth, suffering does not mean you're not loved. So if you keep reading chapter one, here's what happens. Job loses everything. All of his cattle are killed. All of his donkeys are stolen. All of his camels are gone. The house with his kids in it, all 10 of his kids, a storm comes up, blows the house over, all 10 of his kids die. Brutal, right? Chapter two, what happens? Verse one. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahweh. And Satan also came among them to present himself before Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered Yahweh and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And Yahweh said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity. Number two, Suffering does not mean you're loved. Job is still God's champion. Suffered greatly, gone through things that I can't even imagine. He is still, still God's champion. Suffering does not mean you're loved. In fact, I think there are times that you have to suffer because someone loves you. I'll give you the example I gave earlier. My son Elijah, I was just talking to him about this. So um, he was about four years old and he started waking up in the night screaming that his legs hurt. So we're kind of looking at him, trying to figure this out. And we saw on his thigh right here, a bullseye rash, which if you know those two symptoms, that just screams Lyme's disease. Sort of like, oh no, great. So I take him, we go to Dave Abner. Dave's checking him out, and he's like, yeah, it really seems like Lyme's disease, but we need to get this verified, so let's have you go over to the hospital, 
and have Elijah's blood drawn, right? I said, okay, great. So I load him up in the truck and we're going. And Elijah's now trying to figure out like, how do you have your blood drawn? So he's like, dad, when you get your blood drawn, does that involve crayons at all? I'm like, mm, no, no, it doesn't involve crayons at all. He's like, well, well, how do they draw your blood? I said, they have to get your blood out of you. And then he went, oh. Dad, how do they get my blood out of me? I said, very carefully. <laughs> no, dad, how do they get it out? I said, well, if you really wanna know, they take a needle, they put it in your vein, and they draw some blood out. He said, what does that feel like? I said, it feels like a needle going into your vein. <laughs> you would hate to be my son. He's like, dad, does it sting? I said, I'm pretty sure it does sting. He's like, dad, is there some other way? Mm, no, son, I'm sorry. You gotta have your blood drawn. Dad, can they take your blood instead? I said, no way, they're not poking me, man. So I had to go to the hospital and they're bringing out the needle and he's starting to freak out and he's clinging to me and I've got to hold him down, right? So he can get his blood drawn to get a test for Lyme's disease, which was positive. Now I could have been like, you know what? Yeah, I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to get a needle poked in you. That's scary. You know what, instead of going to the hospital, let's go to Baskin Robbins and let's just eat ice cream and go home. Would that have been loving? No. The most loving thing I could do as a dad is to know we gotta go through this, bud. Because I don't want you to live with Lyme's disease. That's not a good, good deal at all. So we gotta go through this. Sometimes suffering is actually because you're loved. You're loved. And that's what God is saying. You need to grow. This is going to grow you up. So there's a text in the Bible that's so good on this. It's Romans 8, 28 through 39. And that text is really just hammering into us. Listen, you're loved. It begins with Romans 8, 28, something we know well. For we know all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you know that? I hope you do. And then Paul keeps just expanding it, that the goal of the human life is to be conformed to the image of the son, verse 29. That's the goal. For you and us, we're like Pinocchios. We need to be made into real little boys and girls. And that process is Romans 8, 29, conformed to the image of the son. And then it's just, hey, here's the good news. If God spared not his only son, but delivered him up on our behalf, how shall he not with him give us all good things? If he gave us his best in his son, can't you trust him with the rest? So who is it that condemns you, right? He ever lives to make intercession for us. And then Paul just asked this question right in the middle. What can separate us from the love of God? Can distress, can persecution, can famine, can pestilence? And then he just answers it, no, because we are more than conquerors 
in Christ Jesus. That is one of the most fantastic sections of scripture. Listen, suffering can't separate you from God's love. Sometimes it is suffering that is the process by which, by which God is making us into real boys and girls. So you trust him in it. If he gave you his best, trust him with the rest. Right? So suffering happens to innocent people. Suffering does not mean you're not loved. Job was loved. He was God's champion. And then thirdly, here's a third, trust, third truth of suffering. Suffering brings out the worst theology. Okay? It will bring out terrible theology in people. So most of the book of Job is Job's suffering. And then he's got four friends, friends, very, very loose term, that come and want to explain to Job why he is suffering. Note to self, never do that. Never tell someone why they are suffering. I will ask questions and listen, but I'm not gonna tell you, I don't know enough. I'm not gonna tell you why you're suffering. They're idiots. And some of the theology they pull out is horrific. It's horrific. Listen to this one. This is Bildad, the shoe height. Small guy, big mouth. Chapter eight, verse four. If your children, remember all 10 kids died. If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. What did Bildad the shoe height just say right there? Your kids are dead because they sinned. Ha! Huh. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is insane. The fact that Job didn't step up and trash this dude is a testament to his character. I'd be in prison if someone says that to me. I just, terrible. I've done a funeral for a 12-day-old baby. Right? Innocent little baby because we live in a broken world. All right, here's another one. This is his other bud, Eliphaz. He says this, chapter four, verse seven. Remember who that was innocent ever perished. I can give you a whole list of people. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Look at any war. Well, no, innocent people don't perish. Really? Or where were the upright cut off? Ah, read the book of Hebrews. Tons of innocent, righteous people cut off. As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Here's what Eliphaz just said. He said, listen, Job, life is like farming. If you'll just plant the right seeds, man, you'll come up with a beautiful crop. Works every time. Is that true? Right? What, is he, what wrinkles in life is he ironing out? How about this, the hardworking farmer that plows the field and fertilizes the field and sows his crop and does everything right and then a massive horde of hornets or locusts come and devour the entire crop or frost at the wrong time or fire or pestilence. You know, there's all kinds of things that farmers do. They'll do everything right and they'll get nothing at the end of the year. Why? Because of some pestilence. What's he ironing out? The difficulties of life. Right? He's making it way too smooth. No way. And you know what? There's a lot of churches that turn into Eliphazes. Right? If you just had more faith, you'd be fine. Your mom would be dead. 
whatever it is. If you just confess your sins, then some truth to it, but ironing out the wrinkles. And the problem with Eliphaz is this. They think the Bible, they think the Bible, and sometimes we can too, they think the Bible is about good people getting good things because of their good life. Is that what the Bible is about? The Bible is about broken, jacked up people receiving the grace and mercy of Jesus. That's what the Bible is about. And when you read it that way, you don't end up like Eliphaz. You're like, oh my goodness. I've been the recipients. I've been the recipient of God's mercy and grace. Oh, great is his name. Not how good I am and I pull myself up by the bootstraps. No way. So if you've been beat up theologically by someone in your pain, guess what Job would say? Me too. Me too. You know what I love in the Bible? Is when God talks to people in their pain. It's so different. My favorite story is that of Elijah. Massive prophet, loves God, dedicated to his kingdom, goes through some events and becomes depressed and suicidal. He just wants to die. He tells God that, I'm depressed and I am suicidal, right? A prophet of God, depressed and suicidal. So an angel shows up to Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19. Guess what that angel does? Does the angel say to Elijah, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Nope. Does he say, hey, Elijah, would you like to talk about this? Nope. Does he say, hey, Elijah, turn that frown upside down, buddy. No, you know what the angel does? Cooks him a meal, feeds him, and then puts him to bed, takes a nap. Elijah wakes back up, cooks him another meal, puts him back to bed, he takes another nap. You know, I think sometimes the best thing that you and I could ever do for someone is not turn that frown upside down. Hey, let me cook you a meal and you take a nap. What you need right now, you're stressed out, you're worried, this thing is overwhelming to you, let me cook you a really good meal and then you just take a long nap and I'll take care of your house, I'll take care of your kids. I think we need more of that. That's how God deals with his kids. Yeah, well. Right? I love that. Very different than Eliphaz. Very different than Bildad. It's beautiful. Right? So you can read this. It's such a brilliant book. Brilliant. But let me give you a couple of, I think, shock absorbers for life. So if, if you have a car, you have a shock absorber system on it, and the shock absorber does not remove the potholes of life, does it? They're still gonna be there. But what the shock absorber does is it allows the car to go over those potholes without being broken. So I think all of us need shock absorbers. It's not gonna remove this stuff from your life. It's gonna happen to you. But maybe it will allow you to absorb what life is gonna throw at you without it breaking you. So I'll give you three for the sake of time. Number one is this. Here's number one shock absorber. Time. You just need time. So if you read Proverbs, here's what Proverbs says. Justice will come. And it's right. God will bring justice on this world. The only problem with that is my time is short. I may not see it because my time is short. And I gotta be okay with that. 
I gotta be okay with that. So the New Testament puts it like this, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 4.17. These light afflictions are but for a moment. But they're working for us an eternal weight of glory. If you catch that, here's what Paul just said. Suffering, difficulty, they're your slave now. They're employed by you. They work for you. And the reward of their work for you is, and it's the Greek is, a super duper weight of eternal glory. That takes time to think that through. Well, Matt, you know, that's pie in the sky out there. My suffering's right now. How does that way out there help me today? Here's how. I've given this illustration before. Imagine two people. Both of them are in a deadbeat job. For some of you, not hard to imagine, right? Bad boss, bad work environment, lousy pay, long hours, brutal, bad culture. Everything's wrong with the job, right? One of those two people is promised at the end of this year, if you will gut it up and stick it out, persevere through these light afflictions, you'll get a hundred bucks. The other person has promised, if you'll gut it up, deal with it, go through these light afflictions, at the end of this year, you'll get a million bucks. Will that offer of future reward change how they deal with today? Oh, 100%. You and I, we have to get to the point where we understand what is entitled to us as sons and daughters of King Jesus, what's coming for us, because it can transform your today. And if you only knew what C.S. Lewis calls the unblushing rewards of eternity for us. If we only knew that, it would transform our day. So number one is time. Read the Bible about what is promised to you and me as his kids. You need time. Number two, you need helpful people. Job had unhelpful people. You and I, we actually need helpful people. That's what we need. Not the Bildads and the, the Eliphazes. We need helpful people. So most of you know my story. Edgewater launched. Um, three and a half months into Edgewater's launch, my mom, was, who's always been healthy, ate right, exercised, di- did everything right, was diagnosed with cancer. She was given six months to live. She made it for three weeks. And she died. And I was like, oh, okay, that was unexpected. And then... About exactly four months after that, my older brother was in an automobile accident and he died. So within the space of about eight months, two very close family members died. And, you know, that's a crushing weight. And I know people have gone through worse things than that, no doubt. But for me in that moment with everything, it was just, it was a lot to handle. And people were wanting to ask me questions. And so I grabbed my family and we just got out of town, just left. Because in the midst of that, every time you have to retell the story, you relive the emotions. It was just too much. So we got out of town. While I was gone, a group of men came up to my house and they weeded my jungle of a garden. They cleaned my doughboy pool, which was a feat. It's a modern miracle. Because you could literally walk on water. That's how thick the algae was in that pool. So they cleaned that pool. They fixed the pool. They weeded around my fruit trees. They mowed my lawn. They weed-eated. They cleaned my house. I mean, I came home. 
I felt like I was in the imperial palace. I'm like, this is brilliant. You guys are hired. I don't know how to explain how huge that was for me. Maybe my love language is service or something, I don't know. But just that simple act, it made me feel like there are people on my team. There are people that care for me and they'll do anything for me. You need helpful people. It's what the body is all about. If you have helpful people like that, be thankful. If you don't have helpful people like that, now's the time to start investing so you have them. Get in a community group. Volunteer somewhere. Doesn't have to be at Edgewater, anywhere. Just volunteer. Pregnancy Care Center, Gospel Rescue Mission. Because what happens when you volunteer with people is all of a sudden you can get to know them and there's like a bond that happens because you'll need helpful people. That is a massive shock absorber in this life. And then thirdly and lastly, you need God's presence. So you read the book of Job. Job asks 300 questions of God. There's question after question after question. And in suffering, that's what you do. You ask questions. And then God shows up. God doesn't answer a single of Job's question. Not one. Instead, God asks Job 60 questions of his own. And then Job says, I'm good. I mean, that's a crazy book, right? I got all these questions. God shows up, asks more questions, and Job says, I'm good. Why? Because what we really live on is not answers. It's God's presence. That's what the human heart is actually tuned to resonate with. Because we are created to actually exist in God's presence. It's the book of Genesis chapters one and two. That's what we were created for. And Job resonated with that. And during that same time um, in my life, like one of my patterns has always been to go up into Cathedral Hills and just walk and pray. I can't sit and pray. Because if I sit and pray, I go to sleep, right? It's just that simple. It does not work for me. People can just sit on their knees and pray, man, you are holy, way holier than me. I have to walk. So walking and praying works for me. So I'm just my pattern, right? And I'm walking and praying and there was no burning bush and there was no like, you know, thunder and I've never heard God audibly. None of those things has ever happened to me, but something happened on that trail. And I can remember the exact place I was standing and it wasn't audible. It was something pressed into my heart that was so different than me. I knew it wasn't me. I knew it was God speaking to me. And I've never forgot what he said. And it was exactly what I needed because I was ready to check out then. 15 years ago, I was ready to say, I can't do this. I'm gonna do something else. And it was a walk, something that I had patterned in my life, a prayer and walking that God spoke to me. And it was that that fueled me. You need God's presence. Like sometimes we just have to start coordinating, coordinating our lives in such a manner that we give space to God, right? Like we can fill our lives so much now, especially with these devices that you never, I mean, God could be speaking to you left and right. There could be burning bushes everywhere, but you're just like glued to a device. You never see it. Yeah. And what you need in suffering is God's presence. Like Job provided space for that and God showed up. It's same thing happened to Paul. Like we finished 2 Timothy on Wednesday. 
At the end of that book, Paul says this. He's on trial, gonna have his head cut off. He goes, everyone has abandoned me. But God stood by me and strengthened me. God showed up when no one else was there. And that was what Paul needed. You need God's presence. It's why every single Sunday here, we conclude with communion. We're really saying, God, come close. Be Emmanuel, God with us. That's the story of the Bible. The God who comes close. And one of my prayers in communion is this simple thing. I pray that the veil between heaven and earth grows thin for a moment. We might sense his love and care for us. Jesus today. I pray for those who have come in here with affliction and suffering and weight and questions and maybe even bad theology. I would pray today they would meet you. Good theology. The one who gave everything to purchase us, to renew us, to turn us back into real boys and girls. That's how great your love is for us. May we eat together. You took the cup. I pray that every believer in Jesus would know today that you are not mad at us. That the cup that we deserved, you drank to give us the cup of forgiveness, the new wine of the kingdom. I pray that we would have the faith to believe you. It takes no faith to believe the lies of Satan wants to condemn us, wants to say that we deserve this, wants to say that we are terrible Christians and God is punishing us and angry with us and wrathful at us. May you give us the faith to drink of your love and your mercy, your grace and your goodness, knowing that we are forgiven. Though our sins were like scarlet, they've been made white as snow. You who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. We cannot improve on that. That on the cross you declared, it is finished. Let's drink together. Amen. We offer prayer up here. Maybe you're suffering. After this song, come up. People will be up here. They'd love to pray for you. We do baptism. Beautiful day to be baptized. Because Jesus' commission to us go into all the world and preach the gospel. The good news, the king has come. Sin and death has been defeated. There's a new heavens and a new earth coming. 
by his life, death, and resurrection, he purchased a new heaven, new creation for us. We preach that, and then you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit right out there. Maybe it's your day. We'd love to baptize you. Would you stand for this final song?